You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. The increase in China's energy demand between 2002 and 2005 was equivalent to Japan's current energy use. This nugget of information, buried in the International Energy Agency's latest World Energy Outlook, tells one almost all one needs to know about what is happening to the world's energy economy. Neoclassical economics analyzed economic growth in terms of capital, labor, and technical progress. But I now think it is more enlightening to view the fundamental drivers as simply energy and ideas. Institutions and incentives provide the framework within which the development and application of useful knowledge transforms the fossilized sunlight on which we depend into the stream of goods and services we enjoy. This is the world of abundance that China and India are now joining. Nothing short of a catastrophe will stop them. For the pessimists, particularly climate change pessimists, catastrophe will indeed follow. What is certain is that the challenges ahead are huge. Here, then, are the highlights of the new report. First, if governments stick with current policies, which the IEA calls the reference scenario, the world's energy needs will be more than 50% higher in 2030 than today, with developing countries accounting for 74% and China and India alone for 45% of the growth in demand. Second, This huge increase in overall demand occurs even though energy intensity of gross world product falls at a rate of 1.8% a year. Third, fossil fuels are forecast to account for 84% of the increase in global energy consumption between 2005 and 2030. Fourth, world oil resources are, insists the IEA, sufficient to meet demand at prices close to $60 a barrel in 2006 dollars. But the share of world supply coming from members of the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries will rise from 42% to 52%. Moreover, it says, a supply-side crunch in the period to 2015 involving an abrupt escalation in oil prices cannot be ruled out. Fifth, coal share in global commercial energy is forecast to rise from 25% to 28% between 2005 and 2030 because of its growing role in power generation. China and India already account for 45% of world coal use and drive over four-fifths of the increase under the IEA's reference scenario. Sixth, some $22 trillion dollars a little under half of 2006 world gross product, will need to be invested in supply infrastructure to meet demand over the next quarter century. Seventh, even with radical measures to reduce the energy intensity of growth under the IEA's so-called alternative policy scenario, global primary energy demand would still grow at 1.3% a year, only 0.5 percentage points a year less than in the reference scenario. Eighth, China will become the world's largest energy consumer ahead of the US shortly after 2010. Ninth, under the reference scenario, 
emissions of carbon dioxide will jump by 57% between 2005 and 2030. The US, China, Russia and India alone contribute two-thirds of this increase. China becomes the world's biggest emitter this year and India the third largest by 2015. Tenth, even under the IA's more radical alternative policy scenario, CO2 emissions stabilize only by 2025 and remain almost 30% above 2005 levels. The rest of the world, in short, wishes to enjoy the energy-intensive lifestyles that have hitherto been the privilege of fewer than a sixth of humanity. This desire does, however, have big consequences for the world's economic, strategic and environmental future. The obvious economic question concerns future prices. Today, the price of oil, deflated by the unit value of exports from the high-income countries, is higher than it has been at least since the beginning of the 20th century. Barring big technological breakthroughs in energy supply or unexpectedly large fines of oil and gas, energy would seem likely to remain relatively, if not very, expensive. Yet to many, a surprise of the 1980s was how much supply finally came on stream and how low demand growth became after the price shocks of the 1970s. Might such an adjustment happen again, and if so, how quickly? Or should we regard the combination of fast-growing giant emerging economies and the dominance of national energy suppliers as making the world fundamentally different this time? The big strategic questions concern energy security and the shift in the balance of power towards unattractive regimes, be they Vladimir Putin's Russia, Hugo Chavez's Venezuela, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad's Iran, or the House of Saud's Arabia. The shift in the balance of power occurs in two ways. First, a growing proportion of the fuels vital but what we today think of as civilized life come from just a few, not necessarily friendly, suppliers. Second, these countries are becoming vastly richer. OPEC revenues are forecast to triple, admittedly in depreciating dollars, between 2002 and this year. The challenge to security comes partly from the difficulty of replacing oil as a transport fuel. That's the concentration of likely supply in the Middle East is inevitably a concern. And so, too, is Europe's steeply growing reliance on Russian gas. Concerns over energy security also come from the potential for competition for supplies among the world's big consumers. The sensible approach is to rely on the market, but that may be hard when prices really shoot up. At some point, American politicians may ask themselves why their country expends blood and treasure in order to achieve security in the Middle East for the benefit of China. True imperialism, the attempt to seize energy resources for one's own benefit, would be a ghastly and dangerous error, but to err is all too human. Finally, we have global warming. Three points shine out on this. First, despite all the blather, nothing effective has been done or yet seems likely to be done. Second, effective policy will require big changes in incentives across the globe, including not least in the large emerging economies. Third, dramatic changes in technology will also be required, the most important of which will be towards carbon capture and storage at coal-fired power plants. 
What then is the bottom line? It is quite simple. Commercial energy is the staff of our contemporary life. As demand for energy continues to rise, nothing is more important than ensuring increased supply and efficient use while curbing the environmental damage. Today's high prices may prove to be a start, but fundamental innovation and high prices on greenhouse gas emissions must follow. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.